Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast and your Week in IndyCar listener Q&A show. Coming to you from the Media Center at Circuit de la Sarthe here in Le Mans, France. Hometown of my French fry and your French fry, our beloved Sebastian Bourdais. Uh, can tell you I am exhausted, but that is not unique to me. Uh, the way this schedule works here, once you start getting into race week proper, oh, it's a grind. So most folks are in by 7 to 8 a.m. And Wednesday night, last night, for example, session went till midnight. <laughs> and you don't exactly just fall over when the clock strikes 12 and go to sleep. Uh, lots of work still to do, whether you're reporting, if you're a mechanic, whatever you're doing. Uh, there's still at least another hour to two of work, and then you fall into bed, and then you get up at about seven-ish as well, and return to the track. So uh, do this again tonight. Uh, runs to 11, so folks get a, a bit of a break. But for those who are accustomed to the Indy 500 schedule, where practice starts at noon and runs till 6, close the garage at a decent hour, um, also open it at a decent hour this is just a little bit different where you're talking about a lot of 16 to 18 or 20 hour days and then you go racing for two days straight and the brutal part here for those who haven't watched Le Mans before it so it's 24 hours when would you want to start that race well you might say how does noon on Saturday start sound so you can then end it at noon on Sunday yeah, how about 4 p.m. on Saturday? So, again, what you have is crews, drivers, officials, volunteer corner marshals, everybody who are up the crack of dawn because this place gets filled with 250, 300,000 people. you got to get in early. So everyone gets in at 7 or something like that, and you wait seemingly half a day, and then you start the motor race. Uh, it's brutal. So, anyways, we're just jumping into that, and I'm feeling it, but I am also very thankful that our friends at the FIWC have trotted out their little Nespresso machines, and, oh boy, I'm staring into a cup here of magical wake-up sauce, a.k.a. Crazy Espresso. So, uh, you come in kind of sort of hating life and hating people, and then once you knock back your first or second uh, espressos, or Nespresso, I should say, uh, life life becomes a little bit better. So I'm kind of in that, just had my first sip, and the world is now making a lot more sense. So why don't we do a quick thing that we always do, and pay tribute to you for the questions you send in every week. Genuinely thank you for those our pal Jerry Suddeth, who puts them together for us. Also, our great partners, Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Discount Tire. So we have all these great partners making the show possible for us. And then we have those questions that Jerry puts together for us to start with and lead the show. And then Connor Daly. So we're going to open the show talking about Connor. Not going to spend forever doing this. But did I expect Connor to be back at Ed Carpenter Racing in 2024? Question mark there, right? For those who need the full backstory, Connor happened to meet 
gentleman by the name of Todd Alt, A-U-L-T. You can even see his name, ToddAlt.com, I think, on the car. Uh, that is the man in charge of BitNile. Happened to meet Todd, struck up a great friendship, and from that friendship, Connor, whose IndyCar career had fallen on hard times, not because of uh, him, I would say, not his fault. Um, things had gone sideways. Was it Foyt full-time? Team was just in a really terrible place. Obviously affected his career and was searching for ways back in. Definitely known as a uh, quality guy in the ovals. Was able to get picked up to do some of that, doing the ovals when Max Chilton decided he no longer wanted to. And from there, things evolved. Met Todd Alt. Todd became not just a friend, but also his sponsor. And that continued to expand to the point to where we see BitNile across multiple Ed Carpenter racing cars. The thought was, yes, the performances have not been awesome. The team has been lost this year. Even within the team, Connors had some races that haven't been awesome. He's had some where they've been 100% on the team, some that have been on him, some that have been a blend. The normal stuff, right? It's never one thing. It's never one person. But this year has been particularly punishing. And so, the thought being with this being a, a pretty rough year already, what does the future look like for Connor? What does it look like with BitNile? Will they continue next year? very much an open thing question mark wise from the outside all come down to relationship though right if you look at last season i believe connor finished 18th in the standings which you know didn't make him happy didn't make anybody happy but okay looking to improve this year is up to 20th right now in the standings still the team's been pretty far off so you might then say, well, how do we get to a point <clears throat> where Connor is no longer driving for Ed Carpenter and yet BitNile is remaining with the team, according to their press release? I'm going to do a little bit of omission here and not go fully into depth, but I can just tell you this. During the month of May, there were decent rumblings that not all was well inside relationship between connor and the team was becoming more and more stressed more and more frayed more on the interpersonal level than strictly on track now granted usually when everything's happy and good it's because things are going well on track usually when things go sideways between driver team owner sponsor whomever it's because there are struggles on track. Would we be safe to assume that at the root of things here would be ongoing struggles and lack of high-quality performance that everyone expected? Yeah, I think we're, we're very safe in suggesting that the roots of this come from a bad year following a bad year. The things heard, though, were just relationships starting to fray and words said behavior kind of 
outward behavior that was not conducive to maintaining long-standing and happy relationships. And so you hear that. You hear a lot of things, obviously, during the month of May because you've got 33 teams, entries, drivers, lots of stuff that you hear. But coming out of May, hearing just more rumblings that, oh, boy, this, this might be something that is nearing a breaking point. But come back to the same question. Breaking point, end of the year? Okay, you know, again, there's been questions about what that might be. Will Connor continue with the team? Will Bitnow continue with the team? Is their ongoing participation contingent upon quality results being demonstrated? What's the deal there? Having heard that things might have been getting stretched really thin and nerves really raw between the driver and team and sponsor heard would have been yesterday heard from a couple of places that hey uh, this relationship might be over effective now and that while it didn't come as a hundred percent shock it's the timing having heard those rumblings that I mentioned and those rumblings only getting stronger and continuing, right, they didn't subside, I had it in the back of my head that, okay, I think we might have an answer that there's going to be someone new in the 20 car next year and may have a new sponsor as well, knowing uh, how close Connor and Bitnell happen to be. But there are those suggestions that even that may be frayed, but will that bond remain haven't spoken to Connor. It's funny if you were to look at my phone, you'd see with one calls, four calls within one minute of each other to Connor, team's PR rep, uh, team general manager, and then team owner, <laughs> like just one after the other. Uh, I think two didn't answer, just let it go to voicemail, and the other two sent me to voicemail after one or two rings. So, again, the kind of they know why I'm calling. They don't want to answer, and I fully understand that. That's kind of the norm. It would have been a shock if anyone picked up the phone. But um, we now know that it's not happening at the end of the year. It's already happened and done. From that press release put out, BitNile is continuing. This is where I think we need to have an honest look at what's in front of us here. And hopefully Connor on his podcast or his social media outlets will provide some deeper insight. Also, this is a massive blow to him. Does his career recover? I don't know. Does he find sponsors to continue doing the Indy 500? And who knows whatever else. I hope so. Love the kid. I've loved him since I met him. And, you know, back since his freaking star mazda junior open wheel days and what we now call the usf championships presented by cooper tires but coming off of a bad full-time full season effort with ecr last year and this year being even worse i cannot think of any team that is looking to hire him and if he does not have the support of bitnow behind him which, again, it appears that relationship might have ended as well. Um, 
I wonder if Connor's time as an IndyCar driver, 10 years on, making his debut at Indy in 2013 with AJ Foyt Racing, I wonder if this is the end of the road for him. I would hope not. I'd love nothing more than to see him at a better team. Uh, Been hearing for a while, might have mentioned it in a podcast or a silly season update, I genuinely don't remember, but uh, the, the Connor is talking to other teams to see if they'd be interested in welcoming him and BitNile next year. That had been going around in recent months, and I can tell you I'm not saying that's a rumor, that's something that was a real thing, but minus a sponsor... I know of no team that is waiting and ready to hire Connor, and I think he would tell you that should not come as a surprise because he's a pragmatist as well, knowing that they're looking for results. And in the absence of those, and keep in mind, uh, we're not exactly saying that ECR's tearing it up and he's been the anchor. I realize that his teammate, uh, Renus VK is sitting 15th to his 20th, which is obviously a number of positions better, but we're not talking about one ECR car starring and Connor dragging that anchor around towards the back. Both full-time entries and Ed's part-time entry have been moderately dreadful. So that's where we're at with Connor. Um, minus Bitnile, which again, we'll wait for final confirmation if that's something he wants to do or chooses to do but if you look at what's in front of you it appears that the sponsor is happy with the team and staying with the team the driver that they came in with um, they appear to have at least on the IndyCar side parted ways thing to close here two things to close here Um, I think I know who the new driver is Um, I have heard a name that I think would make a lot of sense. And I'll leave that for formal announcement, assuming that, uh, how's this? I know who the driver is. I've heard heard who it is. I'm like, yes, that makes total sense. Um, waiting for formal confirmation. But if it's who I understand it should be, it's going to be a really smart call by Carpenter. Here's just, if you want a bit of a mindset or way to possibly look at this, there are some young drivers out there who could certainly use an opportunity, right? Hey, Oliver Askew, you never got a real proper shot. Um, Hey, Linus Lundqvist, you've never had a shot. Uh, Let's get some young talent in there and put them next to Renus and off we go. Love the spirit of that. As a junior open wheel guy, that is certainly something that is always running through my mind. But the part where I mentioned the team's been moderately terrible, that's the thing to fix. Uh, Connor's former number 20 Chevy isn't the issue. It's the number 21. It's also Ed's number 33, if I am remembering his number correctly. But as a whole... The team needs to make major competitive improvements. You are not going to do that with someone who is young, new, unproven. Not that they can't. Not that they aren't capable. But what you don't do in a moment like this is go into a rebuilding with a question mark. 
you go in with a firm answer. And if you want to make a change after you get the ship righted, then you do. But what you don't do is roll the dice on a young driver who's trying to reestablish themselves or who's never done a single IndyCar race. That's not how you fix a team that is way underperforming. What you do is you go to a veteran. Now, when I say go to a veteran, I'll also say this isn't something I'm thinking of in terms of racing and finishing positions. What the team needs, and is clearly a drift on, is on the engineering side. And again, I'm not saying the race engineers are bad or anything like that. They have amazing race engineers, truly, from Matt Barnes on down. It is a phenomenal group, but we can say the same thing about Ray Hall-Ederman-Lanigan Racing. We can say the same about Meyer-Shank Racing. We can run down the list. There are a lot of teams with great engineering groups who, for various reasons, completely lost the plot this year. And so, despite having immense talent, this is something where they have to improve their grade point average. And the way you do that when you're lost technically, lost on the engineering side, that's where you look for a veteran and a proven veteran. So, as I understand it, that's where they're going to go, and it is a thousand percent what they need to do. Renus, and I'm talking reputation, I've obviously never been on his timing stand engineering the kid, but I can only share with you reputation within the paddock. Give him a good car, something that's in the setup window, and he will drive the wheels off of it and deliver an amazing performance. Show up and be slightly off and need to spend some, a lot of time in practice, if not all the practice sessions, trying to dig your way out of uh, the areas that you've missed or gotten wrong. That's not where his, his reputation and strengths are often mentioned. So a guy who is going to be your race engineering kind of uh, direction provider within the cockpit, that's not Renus's reputation. That's why I think the team will end up going with a veteran who is absolutely known for their skills in being able to do so. So what is this? Let's just wrap here and get into your questions. So what is this? What, what's the heart of this? I think interpersonal, for sure, is where all this emanates from. Hoping some relationships aren't permanently broken, but um, yeah, fearful for Connor that this might be the end of the road, or at least the end of the full-time road. Bigger change, though. Bigger arc of improvement, independent of Connor and independent of Renus, is Ed Carpenter Racing as an organization. They need to get much better. And so how do I see the rest of the season playing out? Not necessarily in Renus's number 21 car, but more in uh, who will be in that number 20 car. I don't think it's going to be about finishing positions. I think it is strictly going to be a uh, rest-of-the-year test session 
We're going to try a bunch of things. We're going to probably fall flat on our face at Road America. Uh, and from there on out, we'll hopefully improve. But we're going to go and do stuff. Try and deduce what is wrong. Try and come up with some answers to improve for the next race. Take whatever you get right or wrong there. Distill that into something better for the next round. So uh, this is a mid-season rebuilding process that has been sprung from an unfortunate opportunity with one of IndyCar's most beloved young drivers. So uh, again, I don't know if this makes anybody happy, but this for sure is something that I completely understand why it has happened and why we are where we are. All right, let's get going with your questions Let's get going with the rest of the show here. It'll be a shorter one. Famous last words, right? It's going to be nine hours long when I planned it to be 30 minutes and we're already 20 minutes in. Uh, our dear friend, truly one of my favorite people, one of the greatest gifts to IndyCar. Her name is Cassie. If you are not following her on the good old tweeters, please do so. Uh, her well, address is at Mama, M-A-M-A underscore G-Force, at Mama G-Force, uh, at Mama underscore G-Force, if I were able to put my brain together and make my lips say the things that I want them to. Cassie raises the most prescient question coming out of Detroit. She opens with, oh, Pato, Pato, Pato. We've seen three races this season where he has tried to manufacture a miracle and ends up in the wall. Is it better to have a driver pushing too hard than not hard enough? See, I sure will be interested to see if Alex Pelot's steady approach has any influence on him next season. <sighs> yeah. This, this is really spiraled. And maybe in a, in a way that, I don't know if it stood out to everybody, We'll go back to the, the first couple of attempts to manufacture things, Cassie. But what I wanted to open with here in this, I'm thinking about Pato's post-race Detroit interview, right? Um, chucked it in the wall, right? Uh, smashed up the left side of the car out of the race and falling even farther back in the championship. And we're, what, seven races in? So getting close to uh, the mid midway point of the season, but... He's had a lot of crashes this year, and last couple, completely unnecessary for for reasons that uh, defy logic for me. Here's what comes to mind. So, had the mistake at the pit stop, right? Left rear tire changer did not get the wheel on properly. The wheel did not seat itself on the, uh, uh, the drive pins. And tried to accelerate away. Obviously, the left rear half shaft axle is spinning, not really connected to the wheel and tire. Feels to him like it's a broken shaft. He says so over the radio. Turns out it was just not a properly connected wheel. Uh, they pull him back, get that rectified, send him out. But he was a lap down, if I remember correctly. I don't think he went two laps down, but was a lap down. Then trying to clear a car, um, chucks the thing in the wall. Okay, 
post-race interview, obviously he's very frustrated. Totally get it. But keep in mind, in that, <laughs> in that state of mind, you tend not to be locked into your PR talking points. You tend to be pretty darn honest because that frustration and anger is flowing over you and you're just being real. What had me raise my eyebrow about this Cassie is he mentioned, well, the race was really lost with the wheel problem in the pits. <sighs> Knowing the frustrations and sorrow from the Indy 500 just the week before of all that they could have had and lost because of the most unnecessary, desperate attempt to pass Marcus Erickson for the lead with eight laps to go or whatever it was in turn three. Just a complete, I don't understand why you did this there move. I know he has since said, well, you got to go for it and this, that. And Marcus pushed him down and didn't give him room. And, you know, a lot of everyone else was at fault. I heard that again, and I don't know if y'all heard that too in his answer after the crash at Detroit. Well, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but I, yeah, I know I crashed, but really the race was lost in the pits. And you go, oh, the men and women attached to that number five Aaron McLaren Chevy, they deserve better than that. Because that race that you won, because they got you out of the pits a fraction of a second faster or the setup change that they made that made the car better, or, 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 or. All the different things they've done to get you there. Um, yeah. Let's not turn this into, I know I chucked the car on the wall, but really, eh, doesn't matter so much because our race was already over, effectively. That, uh, that I think, might have received a phone call from uh, the big boss saying, seriously? But here's where this... It struck me, Cassie, in this way, which was a little bit off-putting. Hey, Kyle Kirkwood, uh, the start to your race was not great. Um, our friend Callum Eilat tried to Delara hump the back of your car, and uh, he kind of broke the rear wing off. And, hey, things went terrible, and you had a really good qualifying position, uh, or kind of good. But, um, yeah, and then you came out last, and, like, you lost a bunch of time. And, hey, but you climbed your way all the way forward. You just showed us, especially with all these cautions being thrown in, that a terrible outcome not too late in the race can be somewhat rectified. Not saying you're going to win, but, yeah, you want a lap down. But, hey, with all the cautions, um, could you get your lap back? I got to believe you could. Could you use some of those other cautions? Because you, Pato Award, are one of the finest talents we have seen in a long time. Could you chase people down? And, you know, you're not going to win. But are we talking 7th, 10th, ninth, 8th place points? I don't know. Feels like that was very possible. And again, maybe it's 12th place. I don't know. But I know with the crashes and cautions, his ability to hopefully be the lead car a lap down, get cycled around, get his lap back, and be able to, or even just chase down the leader on a restart, um, there were possibilities there. 
And so the whole comment of the race being over in the pits, that just, I thought that was a little foul. I really did. If I was a crew member, I would have been pissed because you know what? We aren't giving up, right? Hey, when you run into somebody and we got to do a super fast front wing change or rectify whatever, uh, we do everything we can to get you back out to give you unending chances to fight and improve and get points and hopefully have us named as champions at the end of the year. This just struck me as, wow, I, uh, I'm not sure where his head's at right now. Uh, so having Alex Pillow in the building would be an amazing thing, but I don't know how much of an influence. Why? There's just a lot of attack in Pato's approach, and that's what made, has made him special. What we haven't seen yet is the ability to regulate that. And that doesn't necessarily come with physical age, right? You don't have to be 30 years old to figure that out. It tends to come with more professional age. How many years you've been doing this? Well, you've been IndyCar for a couple years now. The same team, same everything for a couple years now. And been doing well. What I haven't seen, that obviously Alex Pillow demonstrates it by a crazy amount race after race is the, okay, I need to go full animal. <laughs> I need to go full cocaine bear attack on everybody. And it's going to be a pole. It's going to be a win. It's going to be fastest laps. Or I need to lay back. Time to kind of lay back in the cut. All right. Hey, today is a third place day. I could make some crazy desperate attempts to get second place off that person in front of me. But the risks tell me that if I get it wrong and I put the thing in the wall, well, guess what? I'm no longer in this great championship position because I tried to get a thing that I either didn't need to try and get it there or it was just not really going to be worth the risk. Big picture. That is, if we wanted to give Alex another nickname, that could be it. Big picture below. The person we are waiting on and hoping to meet sometime soon is Big Picture Pato. That guy, unfortunately, does not exist at the moment. How do we get Pato championship winner? That is where that ability to regulate and say, oh, God man, that looks tantalizing. It's right there in front of me, and I could chuck it down in front of whomever to get it. But I'm going to look at the big picture and choose not to. This is where a Dario Franchitti type, which Errol McLaren does not have, pays huge dividends and accelerates Pato's development at a rate higher than you can imagine. Um, I know we hope Tony Kanon will be there. I don't know if Tony has been that guy um, on the IndyCar level for a long period of time yet. I would hope that would be a voice Pato would listen to if all that pans out, but the potential is there. Like, really and truly, the potential is there for Pato to be a 10-time IndyCar champion. 10-time Indy 500 winner. There, there are no limits for this kid. That's the kind of talent he has, Cassie.
What he doesn't have is the maturity to get there yet. And he is not immature as a person, but as a driver, his decision-making and ability to see the narrowest thing in front of him that he must have and wants and has to go for that very second versus the, oh my goodness. If you were to look at a Pelot's eyes in that same spot, he would have this whole panoramic view that includes the next race and the next race and the next race and the season finale in Monterey where he sees himself spraying champagne as the new champion and kissing the Astor Cup. That's what a Pelot or a Dixon or a New Garden sees when they look out and notice that potential crazy high-risk opportunity in front of them. Um, getting Pato into that panoramic view, that if it can happen, and it doesn't always happen, but if that can happen, this kid is going to be a nightmare. Not there yet, though. Let's move on here, rattle through a few more questions, and then uh, let's see. It is 9.43 a.m. here in good old Le Mans. I have to wander downstairs at about 10 to film a little video with a guy named French Fry. Um, let's go to uh, Green Gecko 119. says, if Romain Groschamp hits well in Detroit and Marshall Prude isn't there to hear it, did it even really happen? Uh, Force India 98 says, long-time listener, first-time questioner. Do you know it specifically failed on Groschamp's suspension during the race? Additionally, uh, this kind of failure, is it a common occurrence with these cars? Haven't had a chance to reach out to anybody there <laughs> to ask. Um, I'm also a little bit afraid to. Um, I know that when I started hearing about that comment uh, here at Le Mans, I can tell you uh, a lot of folks in and around IndyCar who are here and or who are here who have recent IndyCar experience, whether it's on the driving them or engineering or mechanicing, all said basically the same thing. Uh, yeah, the suspension did fail. Uh, when you crash them into walls, that's what happens to them. Um, I don't know. I really hope that's what happened. Uh, because if it wasn't and it was just Romain uh, hitting the wall with the right rear and then that tipping him into the uh, adjacent wall and ending his race. Um, how's this? It's pretty interesting and observant questions from a number of fans coming out of the race of, wow, that guy had crazy momentum. Uh, heading into the month of May, and it seemingly all went away, or almost all went away. I know he did okay, did well at the NDGP, but in general, it has not been a, uh, a pleasant little month, month and a half or so for Romain. Um, keeping in mind, he was meant to sign an extension in May, uh, another thing I need to follow up on. Um, I hope that happened because if there was a let's wait until June, um, you always want to have your stock at the highest, highest number <laughs> when you're going to go sign a new contract. Um, this might be something, if it hasn't been signed already, that could complicate that. But, yeah, uh, I will indeed try and find out 
if I do, I'll try and drop that into the next episode. Um, I feel for him. Mentioned this countless times on the podcast. Um, consistency has always been the bane of Romaz racing existence. In the wall one race, on the podium the other, uh, some silly thing happening at the next, sixth place at the following, just up and down and up and down and up and down. And it looked like for a moment that he'd latched on to something pretty amazing. And it looks like that's been completely lost now over the last couple of rounds. And with his highly emotional release after this crash, um, you can just see that this is clearly affecting him. And you know that this is not something that would be isolated with him. Michael Andretti would also be very frustrated at what is happening then. uh, happening now so yet another thing to track um clem fandango (laughs) that's an amazing name i found myself missing belle isle this weekend is there anything different that could be done with the downtown layout for next year so we get more than just 90 degree corners of course there's always something that can be done will they doubtful um yeah um yeah uh I was really embarrassed for IndyCar with uh, the circuit layout there. Uh, not layout, I apologize. I mean, the, the layout, I don't know if it made me go, wow, that's amazing. Um, it just struck me as possibly the poorest track surface I've ever seen for a brand new circuit. And I know that these are city streets, of course, and they don't have full domain over their condition. But knowing how much pole Penske has in Detroit... I really would have thought there would have been some repaving or grinding or something. The fact that it looked like a motocross track with a lot of the footage of the cars just bouncing up and down constantly. Um, Yeah, Uh, that made me sad. But I don't know if anything's going to change here. Uh, This is yet another thing that I need to check in on and see if and what they might be doing. That's any different. I did see uh, Penske Entertainment or Penske Corps uh, President Bud Denker uh, and Greg Penske yesterday. So I will make a note here to ask Bud about Detroit Rock City. I saw Roger Penske yesterday too, uh, and he said words to me. <laughs> that was that was a uh, was an interesting thing. I. Don't think I said any words back to him, but um, was standing in the garage 56 garage. I love saying that, by the way. It's just full department of redundancy department. Uh, he'd walked in to see, I think, Chad Knaus or see whomever, and I was over in the corner doing something and just happened to look up, and he walked by and said, there he is. He's everywhere, and kept going. And I'm like, there you go. <laughs> So, words have been spoken after, geez, how long has it been now? Seven months? Yeah, something like that. Saw him in the uh, elevator after uh, Juan 8500 uh, happened to be in the elevator, uh, and he and Tim Sendrick 
came in as well for the ride up. They're going to go do a little media center thing and talk to everybody and spoke to Tim, uh, but just kind of left it there. So there you go. A uh, little sidebar. Words have been said. Uh, who else have I seen here that might be fun? Uh, Long Beach, uh, Grand Prix at Long Beach, uh, President Jim McCallion. Saw Jim. Uh, he's here driving, I believe, in one of the support races. Saw sports car legend and former Indy Racing League driver Johnny O'Connell. Great to see Johnny. He's here coaching uh, for our challenge driver. Uh, who else have I run into? Saw Dane Cameron, uh, who we can now say is an IndyCar driver since he's done one test. Or is it two now? I forget. Uh, for Penske. Um, Pagano's here. I need to uh, say hi to his smiley self. And uh, met some a number of Dutch IndyCar fans, which have been great, wearing Renus hats or T-shirts. French pagano fans as well uh, one gentleman tell me about his trip to indy in 2019 which was perfect obviously because simon pagano won and yeah it's been really cool to see the amount of indycar love among fans so been handing out some stickers whenever possible and uh yeah just trying to spread that love as much as i can uh so yeah uh, that's a little update about general things that aren't particularly anything. Uh, our pal James Bethay says, just want to say I'm sorry you missed seeing Flavor Flav at the Detroit Grand Prix. Man, it was so awesome to see how excited he was to be there and save for Will Power to meet a person he holds in high esteem. Hopefully we can have more random collaborations like this. It was awesome. I thought it was as well. And again, I apologize if I'm being kind of nitpicky guy, but um, it, it seemed like they just kind of kept going to him. And kept going to him. And kept going to him. And I love Flavor Flav. Okay? I'm talking, like, since debut of Public Enemy, right? They've been one of my favorites for the majority of my life. Seen them in concert many times. Um, I think the most recent time would have been, like, 2000. So, it's been a long time. But seen them many times. Um... And I love Flavor Flav, right? Uh, my wife and I watched all of his terrible reality shows, uh, separate from the music and whatnot. Um, where does he fall on the list of celebrity? <laughs> you might need some help there, like B level, C level. You know, again, it's not like, oh, there's name worldwide famous actor or athlete or someone who's beloved by everybody for doing things that are really, you know, momentous. I don't think that's a word. Um, it's Flavor Flav. Love them, but, you know, not exactly getting invites to uh, the White House or the Oscars or whatever else. The fact that they kept going, it like, oh, my God, we have Flavor Flav. I got to admit, it did strike me as like, hey, this is great, but like, wow, we're, we're dipping into that well over and over and over again. We're making ourselves look a little desperate here. Um, and then Flav's first hit, uh, repping the upcoming Las Vegas F1 race. I'm like, uh, that's, that's kind of hilarious. But yeah, James, it did bum me out just because, you know, uh, and who knows, maybe... Kevin Lee is the world's biggest public enemy fan and uh, knows all about him. Um, but, yeah, I was like, yeah. Uh, like, that's William Drayton, like, also known as Flavor Flav. Uh, he's Lampin. He's Lampin. 
he's cold, cold lamping. Um, but anyways, yeah, uh, it bummed me out. I'd just like to m- meet him, just say, hey, man, thank you for making decades and decades of my life really happy with your music. So uh, maybe it'll happen again here in the future. Um, let's see. Tim Hubble, you're asking, has good old Kirk Kirkwood replaced Ryan Hunter Ray as the new magnet for the Cartoon Anvil? It uh, feels like it, but uh, has the new guy in Ryan Hunter Ray's car kind of commandeered, held on to that Cartoon Anvil, and has he made friends with it so the Cartoon Anvil's pals also kind of rain down on another Andretti Autosport car? Um, yeah, I'm not totally sure, but I do feel like uh, there's something to think about here. Uh, Zach Dean, you say, MP, tell us about the beer in France. I have not had a single beer while here. Had some really, really nice red wine uh, when Monsieur Bourdais uh, had many of us over for a barbecue. But I have not actually had any beer yet. So, uh, honestly, I haven't been too bothered about chasing it down. Because usually it's like Heineken, Cronenberg, or whatever it is on sale here at the track and I guess I was at the kind of French Walmart aka Carrefour here but didn't really look through I did actually look at some of the beer offerings and not a lot of them impressed me so what I'm looking forward to more than anything is getting back to Road America next weekend Uh, not this weekend but next where I'm going to get to see Steve Bonnick again who not only got to meet him for the first time last year an amazing member of the Prue Day but he has lavished me with what has become effectively my favorite beer. Um, yeah. Uh, Wizard Burial Ground. I mean, yeah. So Steve says he might have some. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. So why drink bad European urine-like beer when you can have something made from Central America that will put you on your behind after about two and just leave your belly smiling. So that's been my approach here. Um, Jake Rose, you say Ganassi is currently sitting 1, 2, and 4 in the standings with their top two drivers and points seemingly out the door at the end of the year. <laughs> say, what if anything can Chip and company do to keep Pelot and Erickson and or Erickson? Is a foregone conclusion that Pelot is gone? Yeah, a bit. Um, a little something to offer there hopefully i meant to write this on monday but just hasn't worked out that way but uh yeah um erickson's the one with the the best possibility of holding on to him Uh, i think the guy wants to stay without a doubt but it's going to cost chip decent amount of money um i don't know if he wants to uh, let me rephrase that i'm sure he'd like to keep the guy because he's obviously performing well but thing I've mentioned, and I think maybe others have mentioned too, assuming everything goes forward as planned with Pelot heading out the door, that's a number 10 Honda that is sitting there funded, needing a driver. Um, wouldn't it be silly-like to take the guy who's in the number 8 and move him over to the 10 and keep him, not have to find funding for him, and that 8 car he would be air-quote vacating? Um Kiffin Simpson could easily slot into that. He's got funding for life, so that's not a concern. Or if Kiffin's not ready, I am fairly confident there are other drivers with funding who would love nothing more than to be in a car that 
is currently capable of being first, second, or fourth in the championship. So at least from the outside, it seems like there's no loss here. There's no real risk here because <laughs> uh, if you have a budget and you have talent, that would seem to be a place you would want to head. Corey Johnson, you're asking about grading McLaren, how we grade them uh, almost halfway into the season. Zero wins, a lot of crashes, but failure to close out races in their 5th, 6th, and 10th in points. Yeah, I mean, we take a couple of Pato's decision-based uh, crashes off the board, and we're talking about the team in a very different way. Um, Rossi, I think, is starting to really find... Uh, a happy place. I feel like a win is still possible for him this year, maybe even two, but um, holy cow, super scary Rossi, who we haven't seen for a little while. I'm still not totally sure if if that guy is... is... I'm waiting to see if he's still there. And if so, I'll be really happy. But he needs to reveal to us whether he's still that guy. Felix, I think, with that podium, I loved it. I loved... What he did, chucking the thing down the inside of Rossi, and they banged some wheels, and I know Rossi wasn't too pleased, but keep in mind, Alex knows where his paychecks are coming from next year and beyond. Felix, I think, is confident someone's going to pay him, but there's still that question mark as to where he's going to be. Um, loved seeing that. Yeah. Again, you, you make a change or two with uh, things on the Pato side, at least. They could easily have two wins, maybe even three. So... I'm okay with where they're at. We get through two or three more rounds without a win, though. Uh, I do think the pressure is going to be pretty darn crushing to get something done by this stage. But I'm not really worried. I think, Corey, they are they're on a really good trajectory, even if they don't have all the things and metrics we want to see by now. Um, I like where they're going, and I am fully encouraged about their potential. All right, this is the end of the episode, the first and last we'll be doing here at Le Mans. Uh, but nonetheless, thank you for your questions. Uh, thank you as well, Steve uh, Bonick, for what I cannot wait uh, <laughs> for, uh, hopefully, is waiting at Road America. Thanks again to Jerry Suddeth for putting our questions together. And also to the fine, fine folks at Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Discount Tire.